Welcome to the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon and I'm the host of a Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Welcome newcomers to the Facebook group, to the podcasts and our Teacherific resources. We always love hearing the diverse reasons why teachers across the world are joining and there's always so much deep and creative literacy work going on in schools. Some of the recent comments we'd just love to share are um, some from leaders and teachers. So from a leader, support in setting up a literacy program for our school for years 9 and 10. From another leader, share and become aware of contemporary literacy ideas. And another leader, practical ideas. And then from some teachers, this one was pretty powerful. Um, and, you know, we acknowledge the deep thinking and feeling that went into this comment. I have been inspired to continue teaching by listening to the podcast and am just looking for another way to connect with experts and other teachers. Thank you for helping to reignite my passion for teaching. We thank you for being part of the profession and for being part of um, this group of motivated teachers who um, join here and meet not necessarily through online space but through, I think, just the everyday work that we are doing in classrooms. Now, before we go into this episode, welcome to Phil. Thanks, Sharon, and it's great for all of us to be part of this group. I think it's a wonderful thing to um, be a part of. Yes, yeah, because I think we can really testify to we've had opportunities, even without technology, to have some pretty powerful mentors around us and um, groups of teachers that we have chatted with regularly along our teaching journey. Um, And so... Well, and even with each other, we do a lot of that. And it was really encouraging to that comment from that teacher saying, you know, it's really ignited their passion for teaching again. Which yes. I, I yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's an important thing that, um, you know, we all want to together within our profession be the real support and encouragement of each other because we are so many of us like we go into those classrooms every day wanting to do our best. Yep. And our podcast is all about developing us as professionals where we make the choices in our classroom to um, improve and make things better. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And feel, I, I also hope, and to feel validated. Yeah, yeah. You know, we often feel that uh, media reports or... Um, you know, different narratives that are out there sometimes make us feel vulnerable as teachers, Mm. Um, you know, about the work that we're doing all the time. And so, yes, this is about the profession. This is, yeah. Just know know that we're with you. That's right. And 
and one of those things today is about how, as a teacher, through developing a really powerful instructional strategy, Sharon. Yes, yes. So today, this podcast, we have called Read Alouds, a critical instructional strategy. Now, just before we go anywhere, let's oh. just define read aloud. Okay, yeah. right. I didn't even get a chance to say, oh my gosh, I'm here talking my favourite topic. <laughs> okay. No, I got, I got in first. <laughs> you did, you did. Um, so, what do we mean by read alouds? Good question, Phil, because I can, or when I'm with teachers and in schools, and we use the term read aloud, there are many different understandings of what read aloud means. So, let me say some of the things read aloud isn't first, so that we can then talk about what read aloud is. So, read aloud, the term isn't students reading aloud in a round robin type scenario, that isn't an instructional strategy of children doing that, of reading aloud, unseen text, in front of them, in front of their peers. Um, So it's not that. Reading aloud isn't everybody reading the same thing at the same time from the same book, (laughs) with their eyes necessarily on it, or for many children, not. But reading aloud is the person doing the reading aloud is the fluent adult reader. And they are reading text that not every child has to see that text. So there's one copy of that text and it's usually a book (laughs) and it's in the teacher's hands. And when we say fluent adult read, in this instance, we're going to say teacher as the fluent adult reading. So teacher fluently reading a book and one that has been intentionally selected. So it's not a random pickup, it is for it to be part of a critical instructional strategy, I've chosen that book for a reason. I've got that text for a reason and nine times out of ten, it's an ongoing piece. It isn't just a, I've picked it up once, I've read something and it's gone forever. So the read aloud can then only have that really powerful effect, which we're after as an instructional strategy where by having you know those um, elements of reading aloud in place that we can four things support students development as readers and writers foster their love of reading improve reading skills and abilities and an important one that we're going to put in there that it even raises standardized test scores Now, that isn't our major thing that we're driving down, but it's a strategy that enables that. So it's really giving uh, an excellent model of the English language. Yeah. I'm hearing... Yep. I'm hearing what excellent text or literature... Didn't mention this bit before, that really what we read aloud is frequently text that is too difficult for children to manage for themselves. Yep. 
And so, because for any of us, our comprehension is far more sophisticated and far more developed than our decoding ability. That's right. And so, by hearing text read aloud that may be beyond our independent reading ability, we still get to do the incredible thinking about text as we hear it. And not only that, as part of a community of readers, we get to talk about those things. And it gives everyone that you're reading aloud to access to that text. Yes, everyone in the room. Yep. Everyone in the room. Nobody excluded. So It's one of our timeless teas, together. Together. And for, I'm going to use two terms that we often use. So for our strivers yep. and our thrivers and everybody in between. Actually, that's not even a great thing to say. Strivers and thrivers. Strivers... They are thriving. As they are striving, mm. they are learning to thrive. I was going to say that all students are striving and thriving. Yes, yep. yes. Yep. And and that's actually, ugh, I really don't like that I said that bit. Mm. And that's actually been a good thing to clarify here. Yep. Um, and thank you for pulling me up on that, Phil, because you're right. All, every one of us in our striving, it's in the striving that we are actually thriving. Because if we're not striving, Mm. how do we get to thrive? Mm. So we use that term striving um, instead of, I hear some terms sometimes that really, um, you know, I think we want to shift away from and that is struggling. Because struggling then indicates that If we refer to children as struggling, it's kind of like we're saying, well, they're just always going to struggle and that the struggle isn't going to get them the effort that's rewarded for that struggle. You know, struggle just says it's just always going to be hard and is there going to be any good outcome? Um, And the other term I often hear teachers use is weak. I've got weak readers or weak writers. I would hate to be referred to as weak because, you know, every one of us is in there striving. We are trying our best. (laughs) So there's a little side by. With Read Aloud, when we're in classrooms with teachers, Sharon, you're noticing – is a bit of a struggle with it. Um, oh, okay. Actually, maybe if we talk about... So these are some of the struggles that mm. I see. Yeah. So, first of all, teachers are always looking for the instructional strategies that have high impact that can be part of their literacy teaching toolkit. And Read Aloud is one of them. But here comes another... Um, not a teaching struggle maybe as much of it as a teaching strive. Maybe we can change our language around that too, Phil. Mm. Um, that teachers are striving for, well, we know that there is power in read aloud, but we're just not sure whether 
it's justified in the school day. Like, should we be using time in the school day to use read aloud? Like, because has it got enough impact? Yeah, because some, I think, um, some teachers use it as a kind of a fill-in. You know, they'll uh, have a quiet moment and then they'll, you know, say, let's do a read aloud for a bit. Aha. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about that straight away. Hmm. Read aloud does need to be intentional and it needs to have purpose. Read aloud is often used as a calming strategy. So we might be coming in after a break or it might be towards the end of the day. You know, we might be reading. And whilst I'm reading, children can be drawing, relaxing, doing other things. Yeah, almost like a mindfulness thing. Yes, yes. Now... I'm not discounting the power of that and people may find that very effective that that is, it really does calm students, but then that's been the purpose. I'm talking about read-alouds or we're talking about read-alouds as an instructional strategy for readers and writers. And if that is to be so, then when I am reading aloud, I have got everybody's attention on listening. That's their job, to be actively listening, thinking, making sense. Because I guess what we're doing is that the student is then going to use what they're hearing in their own reading and writing. Yeah. They're going to take action on this. Um, It's not just something that's for enjoyment. They're just going to listen to this. It's Something they're going to take action on in their own reading and writing. Right. Well, there's a lot of things that it will build. And in a little bit, we'll talk about sort of like the list of 13 things that, you know, we can discuss a little bit further about that. Um, And we can reference, um, you know, some articles for people to read about that that I think is important, you know, to get good justification for why we use Read Aloud because it is big, it's big. It's not a doesn't give us a singular thing. It gives us so much that there actually isn't any other strategy that gives us what read aloud does. So, do you think, Sharon, one of the things we're noticing that's underutilized because of there is this enormous power that we're going to unveil. Yeah. Um, so there is a real underutilization of it yeah. as an instructional strategy in the classroom. Yeah, and I think it's. I think what it usually comes down to is time. We see it as there is no time in the day for that when there's all these other things that we've got in the day. How can we? How could we stretch our already what seems like limited time for um, this teaching? How could we? How can we find another bit in the day? Whereas the beauty of the read aloud is it does incorporate all those things that we are trying to cover. Not everything. No, don't, lo- don't no. let's not say that read aloud takes the place of everything else. It's still one instructional strategy in the toolkit. Right. Because it can't take the place of students reading for themselves. It can't take the place of... Shared reading. Shared reading for our younger students. Mm. It can't take the place of 
you know, our explicit teaching around and and read aloud can be the very place that we can do some really powerful explicit teaching for our readers when we get our readers doing the work of the reader as they're listening so that they can then apply that to their own. So what kinds of things Mm. might they do? That might be at a a meaning-making level, as a comprehension level. It may be at a fluency level. What does it sound like to... How do we pay attention to punctuation so that we can read text to get the meaning that we're after? How do we pay attention to paragraphing? And, um, you know, how, you know, text is created in spaces and in chunks. How do we notice in our reading when here's a word that is wholly new to us and, oh my goodness, the text actually gives us some information after that to help us understand the word. So the cueing in, one thing that we can't really do well is teach an explicit mini lesson without using, sorry, teaching an explicit reading strategy or lesson without using and reading aloud text for students to see how and hear how it works. And, and you're going to later on give a bit of an example of an actual read aloud, and that will yeah. Be, if we get time, if we get time. Yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah. But in the meantime, shall we just um, go down to some of the really significant things that um, are well? Let's just say the advantages of yes. read aloud. Shall yeah. We? yeah. So I was really thinking about okay, how do I synthesize information? in a way that is also readily accessible to everyone as well. So there's actually an article that we will have the link to in the show notes. Um, Now, you can Google Read Aloud um, and get a lot of evidence-based articles. Yep. So I'm not saying this is the only one available and I'm always quite critical of which things I choose – I want it to be. I like it to come from a research, um, a research-based publication, or I like to co- it to come from a professional text for teachers that I know has gone through really rigorous research and brings to us as teachers what it is that we need to know about yep. it. So, um, but weirdly. I'm kind of linking it to one yeah. article today, but that's um, that's to give a little synthesis here. But that's also because you've read a whole lot of others and you've found this article um, probably encapsulates a lot of. Um, well, I'll tell you the one the one reason I've also chosen it is because it's talking about read aloud for older readers. Right. So, because I don't think anyone will dispute in any way that we haven't, as teachers, found time in our day to be reading aloud to our five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. Like, I think that happens just automatically and with with no question. But past, past our seven, eight-year-olds, what about our nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds? Yes, there is absolutely evidence about the power and the necessity 
of it to be part of our students' lives. I had a great deal of joy reading to um, year seven and eight. Um, middle school in the US is... Mm, yeah, uh, six, seven, eight. Yeah. and um, oh, Well, in New York State it is. Yeah, yeah. in the Bronx reading to um, classes of year seven and eights and... Um, mm. Oh, they just just loved. Well, they they like the Australian accent. I must say that, um, but they just loved to read aloud. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did a little action research project, you know, in one lot of study that I was doing, and just looking at across our school um, how what children's attitudes were across the older grades. So, in this instance, in a primary school for years three, four, five, six, seven at the time. Um, And so we were looking at what were students' attitudes to read aloud, like 100% positive. Mm. Students loved, loved the whole idea, you know, just engaged in it fully. Mm. Um, Do you know, at this point, Phil, can can I just tell, though, why I get so passionate about read aloud? Because without being read to, you know, at school by my teachers right through primary school and into high school, I just don't know what my life would be like without them having done that. It just gave, like they were clearly, like at the time I thought, oh wow, I have got the most remarkable teachers in the world. But what they knew was, how important it was as an instructional strategy. Like, they knew it. Mm. And I'm talking about, you know, a child of... So I'm being read to as a child through the 70s. Yep. So from being, well, 60s and into the 70s. And I can tell you, I remember the books that were read to me. And they are books that just... I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have read those books if people hadn't, if my teachers hadn't read them to me. I didn't have access to them at home. Some of them weren't even in our school library, in our primary school library. Mm-hmm. And when I was eight and our teacher had read The House at Pooh Corner to us and I then had the opportunity So we were um, going on a family holiday and my father presented me with two colouring-in books for the holiday and I didn't know how I could say this without being, you know, without being ungrateful, but I did say, can I swap a colouring book for the house at Pooh Corner because I want that for myself. So books that teachers read to me, I wanted them. I wanted to be able to go back to that story whenever I wanted. So so there was, I'm just going to say, it had a deep impact on me as a child to be read to. So, you know, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, Alice in Wonderland, House at Pooh Corner, poetry being read to us every day, Charlotte's Web, The Secret Garden, Midnight, 
about the Australian Bush Ranger <laughs> by Randolph Stowe. February Dragon and Storm Boy, Colin oh, Tearley. Yeah, yeah. Treasure Island. Yeah. You know, like I like they were just primary school experiences. But I was off to school every day because I knew I was being read to. Wasn't the only reason I was going to school, but I can tell you it was a big one. So it really fired you up. Oh. And, uh, but I must say, even in my own teaching, I, I didn't have that same experience as you, Sharon, but in my teaching I brought it in. And oh. So what fired you, though, to do it? Because, like, and you were read to as a child. Like, well, I was read to at home. Yeah. Professional learning, I think, um, going to language uh, literacy conferences, um, hearing people like Mem Fox uh, talk about, you know, and there is a podcast about yes, with Mem Fox, yeah, yes. So that, I mean, she fired me up, and yeah, um, yeah. the joy I've had in reading books like Charlotte's Web or yeah, The Secret Garden to classes older yeah. older children, yeah, um, The Wind in the Willows. Sorry, yeah. there's another one that was read yeah. to us. Yeah, they just must reads, aren't they? Like um, yes, yeah. Oh, now we can talk now. Let's talk about like. You know, I can sit here talking about the power it had for me, but mm. what does, what is the right, evidence base? Yep. Um, and so this is, I'm going to um, just run through the 13, the 13 things that the article that will be in the, the link in the show notes. This is a chapter that comes from the book Reading Aloud and Beyond by Georges and Serafini, Frank Serafini who we love. And it does come from, so it's published by Heinemann, and so reading aloud and beyond, fostering the intellectual life of older readers. Now, the chapter that this has come from is called 13 Good, and then in brackets, Scientifically Based, Reasons to Read Aloud with Older Readers. Fantastic. So... This isn't to discount the reading aloud to younger children, but this is to really empower those of us teaching older students to say, okay, what are the reasons and why would I do it? What's the benefit of it? And do I make time in a day for it to happen? So, number one. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Oh, can you do that? <laughs> uh, number one, reading aloud increases test scores. Good heavens, that's number one. Yeah. Mm. Now, it's not there because it's the number one reason. Right. It's, But it is at number one. So, Georges and Serafini did put it at number one because sometimes we have to, as teachers, justify why we would have time in class reading aloud to students. So it's a deadly serious purpose to it. Yes. It's not a fill-in. No. Mm. No. So it has to have the purpose. Yep. And then it's got justification. So I'm not saying you can't have it for the other reasons, but those other reasons, that calming, that well-being, that those things, are they going to be the test score 
and, um, and also increases, in, probably mm, not. And in this, we're also, as you all know, we're not saying that um, the test score is the be, be all and end no, all no, of no. education. No. Um, no. It's many more things than that, but um, you know, correct. Yeah. But it does say so. The Commission on Reading in 1985. And I know some people will shudder at that date going, well, that was a long time ago. It hasn't been disproved. <laughs> this has not been disproved since 1985. So does that tell us something? But the um, Commission on Reading concluded, the single most important activity for building the knowledge required for eventual success is reading aloud to children. Good heavens. So... Sometimes we have to come in with that big – none of us want to say it's about test scores. Like, that's not that's not why my teachers were doing it, <laughs> you know, for me. It's not why I did it. But in our age, in our time and place, and test scores are a measure, it, it improves. It improves test scores, but it's not the only reason. No. And right. I would have put it at number 13, but it is good justification for us too to know that, okay, evidence-wise, oh my goodness, it does big work. Right. It does big work. So um, so reading aloud, so if we want to just, um, you know, have that little rundown of it increases students' background knowledge, it introduces them to various story structures – and it demonstrates what competent reading strategies look like. So there are three big things that really play out for tests. Right. And in Gabriel and Allington's Every Child Every Day, out of the six Every Child Every Day experiences, one is Every Child Every Day listens to a fluent adult read aloud. Yep. Because it improves students' own fluency, it improves their vocabulary, and let's link that to background knowledge, improves their comprehension. So they are big things that we can joyfully take with us and showcase in an assessment situation, let's go showcase those things. Let's not go, oh, right, I should have had a lot of test-taking practice to do well on this test. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I need a lot of big, big work to get me there. And read aloud is part of that. It's not the only thing. But it's a huge, critical piece. Yep. Sometimes I think of it as, um, you know, when we hear a piece of music, um, we hear the whole orchestra playing the whole piece of music. And, yeah. and so we know what that – if we are a person that's going to be playing a piece of music, we know what we're aiming for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we want kids aiming for big things yeah. in their reading. Mm. So let's be clear. This is what kids are striving for. Yeah. So we need to help them strive for those big things. Enabling adult, you know, that's what we mm. need to. As the enabling adult, that read aloud, 
Yes. So, right. and how much of the day is needed on that? Not more than how much children are reading for themselves. Yeah. In fact, I was going to bring the when I was thinking of the title of this um, podcast, mm-hmm. the somehow bring in the uh, enabling adult as the part mm. of the title, but but you know, I think you thought of a good one, Sharon. <laughs> well. Well, I think it is important for us to anchor it as mm. a critical instructional strategy. Yeah. And so that's part of our toolkit as teachers, instructional strategies. Yeah. And do you know what? Instructional strategies can only be delivered by teachers. Yeah. Not by a program. No. Not by um, a video. Not by… YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. Not by… It's delivered by… A professional. A professional. The teacher. Mm. So so, you know, this is this is like if it's it's in your toolkit already, we are giving you the like the Thumbs the up. green light Thumbs on. Up. Thumbs up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Dare I um, say number two? Yeah, <laughs> yeah please do. <laughs> <laughs> so Read Aloud introduces readers to new titles, authors, illustrators, genres, and text structures. So it introduces it. Because the master is doing that. The book itself, that's the master, isn't it? Mm. And the teacher. And the teacher, the mentor. Mm. They are the ones, you know, that's the power of it. We as teacher, we just need to, we need to give the fluent rendering of that. And the text, the author's done all this work. The illustrator's done all this work. Look at how many people are in the room right now. And I keep saying how lucky we are that we have so many books and so many authors. Yeah. Uh, such a choice now, you know, compared know. to when I was at school. Yeah. We had very small selection of, um, you know, books. Well, I thought we did, but when I think about all the books that teachers read to me. True. Like, yeah. look at what we had. Oh, we did. Yeah. yeah. But, it, but, but now, we have got, now. and mm. um, I want to acknowledge one of the um, uh, librarians in one of the schools I'm working with, you know, keeps pointing teachers in the direction of the notable list of books put out each year by the Children's Book Council of Australia. And those notables are in every country that has the Children's Book Council. Um, I find the best books there. And then we have those wonderful people like Genevieve from Where the Wild Things Are who comes and talks about new release books. You know, there's people that know where all these good books are. Remember that child said to you once, I, I, I know where all the good books in the library are? <laughs> yeah. 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 In the return box. That's right. Yeah. So true. And sometimes they don't even get to the return box because some teachers, as the children are coming back to the library to return any books, not the ones that are in their classroom library, but in their school library returning books, have already done a, all right, anyone wanting to do a swap over right here, right now, before we even hit the desk to return it? Because, yeah, I want that one next. You've just finished it. Fantastic. Love it. So, okay, so this introducing… So, so introducing them. It's like a marketing thing, isn't it? Yes, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, and… And when we read, we've already talked about this because I talked about it with the house at Pooh Corner. When a teacher reads aloud something to us, it's frequently the book we want to have too. <laughs> you know, we want to have it, whether we want to borrow it, whether it goes on our birthday list, um, goes onto a gift list. 
we frequently want to, that's the motivator. I've heard it. And do you know what? As teacher, you know, I'm the kind of child that I knew I wanted to be a teacher before I started school. So maybe that's why I took note of all the books that teachers read to me because I thought, hmm, I'll be reading that to my students <laughs> one day. <laughs> you know, it's like, hmm. you know, and if I've got a copy of it, and guess what? The very copy that I got as an eight-year-old, I have read as a teacher to classes. Really? The very copy. Oh. So, you know what? There's just it's big power in that, isn't mm. there? Tradition. Yeah. All right. Do you want to go number three? Yeah, I think so. Number three. <laughs> number three, reading aloud builds a sense of community. Mm. Together. So the community of readers that's built through reading aloud supports the kind of interaction and responses that we want students to construct in transaction with the literature that they are engaging with. So I'm not talking here about doing the 79 question worksheet after read aloud. I'm talking about the community of readers who are talking about discussing big things here. Thinkers talking. Thinkers talking. And what are those big things that we talk about? They're the kinds of things that, let's just say on in Teachific, the kinds of questions that we've put in the reading journal section. Mm-hmm. The prompts. The, the prompts. Mm-hmm. It's those kinds of questions. Why did the author write this? What are they, what are they trying to... What's the message they're trying to um, let us in on here? What is the the theme or idea here? So we're we're talking about big questions. We're talking about big thoughts, not not just the, you know, what day was it when such and such happened, or, you know, it's about the difference between an open-ended question and a closed question, or a literal question. And an inferential question. So we, as enabling adult, then also have to open up so opportunity yes, for. We're leading them, them into deeper thinking yeah. through all this. Yeah. yeah. Going on to number four. Sorry, number four. Reading aloud provides opportunities for extended discussion. Well, we've actually talked about that. Yeah. With. Number three. Yeah. Um, but this is just foundational to there being a community of readers in our class. I love, and I'm so sorry that I can't remember um, the writer who said this. When you build a community of readers who talk about books, I love that this writer uses the term, we talk books. That's great. We talk books. So it's not just we read them. We talk them. And talking the read-alouds means we can talk our own books that we're reading because we've got models of how do you talk books. It's brilliant. Isn't it? Mm. So that reading aloud provides opportunities not only for the shared discussions about the very the very book, we're all having this one experience here with this book, but that doesn't mean we're all getting the same things from it. 
There is no, this is the only thing we get from this when someone else says, I was thinking, or as we heard a child say, a year three child say the other day, in my mind, I was thinking. Now that's powerful. So in my mind, the way I see it, now that's real discussion. That's the, and that's, now we're on to, not literal questions, we're on to the big thinking here and the big discussion about this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm thinking. And that's the honouring. That's every child having entry points into this. That's powerful saying that, isn't it? In my mind. Yeah. 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 And how do you get to that? Because you've had the opportunity to listen and to do the big work of the listener and the thinker, not doing the work of the of actually the reading, but you are engaging with because you've got a fluent adult reading this who's really enabling you to get to the meaning. And modelling the thinking through the prompting. Yeah. But do you know what? It's not modelling the thinking as much as just opening with the prompts. Mm. You don't want to do, the teacher doesn't want to be doing all the, and so this is what it, this is what I'm thinking, this is what it means. Mm. No, no, open that up first. (laughs) What is it that we're thinking? What are you thinking? Because who should, who's thinking do we want to honour here? Mm. Not mine, but everybody's thinking. And why are we thinking that? How did we get to that? Wow, hadn't even thought of that. And do you know what? That is the thing that I heard myself saying over and over and over again when I opened things up, that thinking to children where they'd, they'd say, you know, this is my thinking. I'm like, wow, I had not even thought of that. And that's what makes, makes teaching so exciting because we've got so many wonderful minds in our classroom that we're listening to yes not just our voice yes yes absolutely number five i'm getting a bit of a nudge here (laughs) is that our stage manager doing that (laughs) (laughs) number five reading aloud with older readers is pleasurable oh it so is isn't it and doing it together Especially an ongoing story. Yeah. And look, I haven't even mentioned that today, but it is chapter books are just so critical. (laughs) Chapter books, you know, like you actually can't live without a read aloud on the go. By on the go, you mean happening each week? Uh, uh, Each day. Each day, but over weeks. Over weeks. Yeah. So read alouds. And if I think about that, over the course of a year, wow, I want to have, oh my gosh, at a minimum, I want to have had, I'm going to say six chapter books I've read across the year. Mm, Definitely. Of different types. So maybe I've read like a ballad over time. I remember when we were teaching in two different schools and you were about a chapter ahead on a certain book than I was. And and I think there were two children that knew each other. Yeah, they were cousins. cousins. (laughs) And they knew we were on the same book. Yeah, because actually 
they were having really interesting conversations at family gatherings. About those books. About, about that, that book. Yeah. Or about those books. Yeah. And that, I remember, was year four. Yeah. Amazing. Um, it is so it's just so pleasurable. And, and can I, I think. Can I interrupt there and yeah, say the book was? The book that we were reading in the classroom was um, a series of four books, and it started with um, The Steps Up the Chimney. Actually, can I just give a little backstory to that mm. too? Yeah. Because this was the first book was introduced to me by a child in the class, and they had read the book and came to me and said, Oh, Mrs. Callan, I think, like, can you read this book? Because I think this would be so wonderful for all of us. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So this is child, not just thinking about, so this is the community of readers right here. Mm. This is community Mm. at play. So I remember it was towards, say it was about, so our school year, you know, going from February to December, I remember it being about June because it meant that I had the school holidays to read the book because I'm not going to bring a book to my class and invest mine and their time in it if I haven't read it. I don't have to have read it like as if I have to know all the answers about this book. That's not why I'm reading it. But I do have to read it because I've got to, I've got to lead thinking, and engagement with this book. I've got to, I've got to be committed to the sharing of this book, and to elevate its purpose, and enable discussion and like, what are we doing with this book? I don't have to have the answers to that, but I have to have a plan. I must say, though, I found it um, – I was so glad that you introduced it to me because I, f- I found it and my class found it enthralling. Yes, um, yeah. It was a series, actually, of four books in a yes. series Sorry, called uh, The Magician's House Quartet. And the first book was The Steps Up the Chimney. The second was The Door in the Tree. The third was The Tunnel Behind the Waterfall. And the fourth was The Bridge in the Clouds. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that year we both read – This is the only year, actually it's not the only year I've done it because another year I did read all four. But it's the only time, it's the only series I've done that with where I've read the entire series. Um, You know, I've started with books like um, Rowan of Wren and haven't read the whole series. But what it's done, that's opened the door for children to go and read the the books that that follow that. I must say the Rowan, Rowan of Rim was another yes. fan, fantastic one. Yes, really. yeah, Emily Rodder, you know, great read alouds. So um, we, I feel we, like we've got sidetracked there, but the pleasure of it, yeah. oh, my word, that was – and I think I wanted to also just point out that the older readers' investment in read aloud, like here were children coming to – us to recommend books and not just saying, oh, I think you should read this, but going, do you know, I think this might be right for our class next. Mm. Or like their investment in it mm. was enormous. Mm. So so that clearly let us know how much it was pleasurable 
to them. It wasn't just a, okay, I'm just sitting through this and it's just, yeah. So number six, reading aloud connects readers with content area subjects. So read aloud isn't always about fiction. Read aloud non-fiction once again Let's bring text that may be too hard for our students to access for themselves. But do you know what? If it's on a topic that our students should have access to out of the curriculum, let's bring the information to them. Well, it increases their world knowledge. Oh, but should actually give them access to what they have the right to access at the curriculum. Yeah, yeah. On the curriculum. Yeah. So if that's a um, a science topic that, um, you know, like reading about it is difficult for us. One, because we might not have a good grasp of the vocabulary of that topic. Then the read aloud should enable our students to be able to go, wow, they use that word a lot. Can we put it up on our chart so that we can learn more about that word and let's listen out for how that word's used. Maybe we're going to explore what the um, meaning of that word is through its base element, through its, um, you know, through its root, through prefixes and suffixes on that word. Or maybe the text that we're reading is actually giving us information about what that term means. Yeah, well, the, the uh, writing down of a word uh, when you're reading from a read aloud, I just find that such a powerful thing to chart that yes. or a phrase yep. and we can go back to that. Yep. And when they're doing their own writing, they can use those words or those phrases yep. because, and they've already heard them in a text. Yeah, and uh, in the content areas, that's critical. Yeah, That's if a... Somebody who is expert in the field is using particular vocabulary a lot, yep. then that's the very vocabulary we should, as a growing expert in our understanding, should be using in our writing. And coming to an understanding of that, can you imagine if we're being read to a bit frequently around those things, how much our knowledge is building around that? Yep. yep. How much our knowledge is building of text and of vocab that might be difficult for us to read? Now, I'm not, don't at any point hear anybody say, oh, well, are you saying everything should be read? No, I'm not saying everything should be read aloud. This actually is a bridge to students being able to read more complex text. Themselves. Yes. So, oh my gosh, sorry, everybody, I can hear my voice raising. This is what, or getting higher, this is what happens when I get um, passionate about about something. (laughs) So we'll just calm you down. Calm, take Mm. a breath, Sharon, read to me. No. (laughs) Um, Yes. All right, keep going. But, it, but it, even within a book um, like I Own the Race Course, which I loved reading to the students, you know, it wasn't... A I non- don't know that book. It wasn't a non-fiction book. It was a story, but yes. it was about a child with a disability. Uh-huh. Now, the, yeah. it's bringing in a theme or a, that other one, uh, I can't remember oh, the name. Oh, Boss of the Pool. Boss of the Pool. Yes. Um, 
So they have particular themes in them or it might be yeah. um, And let's face it, every book has a theme. Yeah. Why are books why are fiction writers writing yeah. to help us learn more about the world, ourselves and others. Yep. And so yes, connecting fictional text yep. at a time where we may be um, looking at a factual topic can actually give us insights. Like historical fiction is a great way for us to understand more about if we are looking at a time, if we're doing something in history, <laughs> in, our, in our studies, mm-hmm. having a book set in that time period and reading that aloud gives us so many insights. What about that one swashbuckler? Yes. Yeah. Oh, another one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. James Maloney. Yeah. But, you know, historical fiction has got a great place for – because historical fiction is accurate in its, in its time and place. What's fictional about it is the characters that are in there. They've been – they are fictional characters put into that time and place. Um, so like the Grey series, you know, about the convict girl coming to Australia. So the information, like the things you learn about the convict process and about that, you know, the experiences on the ships or whatever, time and place, historical fiction gives us incredible insights into it. It does. Yeah. Um, and and not it doesn't have to be historical fiction for things to give us incredible insights into something. Mm. Um, like you say, maybe around um, a culture or a disability or a life challenge. All of those things can, through someone else's eyes, through a perspective – Through a third party, we can learn a lot. All right, number, what am I up to? Number seven, reading aloud demonstrates response strategies. So when we are reading with our students, how we respond, and we've actually covered this, we've we've, talked about this already, how we respond, hmm, do we want to respond with closed questions? No. No. We want to respond with, you know, the the open-ended. So we've probably... Covered that one. um, Mm -hmm. Yes. Number eight, reading aloud increases readers' interest in independent reading. Yeah. Because it opens a whole lot of doors. Look at what it did for me. I wasn't just hanging out for the read aloud. It made me a reader. I can't... I just can't imagine. You wanted your dad to buy that book. I wanted my dad to buy the book. And I was every parcel that arrived on the train every month from the public library in Adelaide, that bundle of books that arrived, I couldn't wait for it to arrive so I could read what was in there. Four books. You know, it was it made me it made me a reader. It made me want to read for myself. Well, actually, a story is about uh, Abraham Lincoln. Um, mm-hmm. His public library in his little town enabled him to be a reader. And he only had yeah. a small selection of books, but yeah, he went back to them over and over again. But did someone read to him? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, maybe in yeah. the early days they did. And yeah. I suppose I'm, you know, we're saying, oh, okay, what if I actually, I do want to say, or teachers will often say to me, oh, yeah, this is a child, nobody reads to them at home. Right. And and I'll say, oh, how can you tell? And I say, do you know what? They're just not interested in reading. And do you know what? Right there, that there's a bit of evidence, isn't it, saying they're not being read to, so they're not interested in reading, which makes it entirely critical we for us to bring this as an instructional strategy to our students. Number nine, reading aloud provides access to books that readers may not be able to experience on their own. And we've talked about that already too. We've said books being read aloud should absolutely be ones that are taking our readers much further than they would have than they can with their own text. Mm. Yeah. Number ten, reading aloud provides demonstration of oral reading and fluency. So we've we've said, you know, all of these things have already come up. Mm. Um but what I loved about this article is that it it gives us all of the justification, which is what I'm also, what we're doing here. Um, but I suppose we also want to say it's not just us saying this. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> number t- No, number 11. Reading aloud helps readers understand the connection between reading in school and reading in life. I love that one. I just love that. If our students think that at school reading or that school reading, like what does that look like? If they say, well, that looks like I read a card of information and then I answer questions about it. Or it looks like we'll read, um, yeah, I read in a group and we all read a little bit out and then we answer questions about it. Or if I say I can't find anything that interests me to read at school, so I hardly read. Or they say I'm just not a good reader and I hate reading. Then that's constructed what they see see as school reading. And so then what would they say then about life reading? Well, from a home where they were given great experiences with home reading, it would be different to a child who's not had really great experiences. So they're not getting it at school or at home. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a really critical point is thinking about what kind of, what are we saying? What's the connection? Yeah, about... For our, especially our older readers, of like what is, what does reading in life look like? So this talking about books, yep. that's actually what life reading in life is about. Mm. Like we all want people to talk to about our books. And if it's generated at school, um, and they don't have it at home, it can be they can see what that life reading. The best example of that is yes, yep. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Number 12, reading aloud provides demonstrations of quality writing. So one of our favourite researchers, Frank Smith, said, we learn from the company we keep. So reading aloud should be 
providing demonstrations of quality writing. So we want to be picking intentionally writing that's going to grow our students as thinkers, building their knowledge, building their um, understanding of how to to work through complex text and build vocabularies that are rich and incredible and understand how idioms work and metaphors and similes and the impact of alliteration and figurative language and we want them to experience that. So ultimately they can then use that to further themselves with their own independent reading but also to as writers, yeah. they can further themselves as writers. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it has huge impact. Yeah, across the whole exactly. spectrum. Exactly, but we have to be intentional about that. Yeah. So these 12 things don't just come because we pick up a book and read. No. These come because we've been intentional about it And that's what I really value about this list. There is one more. But this is what I value about this list is that it lets us know what we need to be intentional about. Number 13, reading aloud supports readers' development. And we can say, how could that possibly be? We've, We've talked about all these things. So, little list it helps readers respond to literature. Uh, and, and if you've got any doubt of the importance of these and connection to the Australian curriculum, just go looking on the Australian curriculum and you're going to find all of these things. Right. So responding. Yeah. We've got response to literature as middle band there, that literature strand, we've got it there. Exposes readers to new titles and authors it's there in the achievement um, descriptions or the level description mm. that children should be engaged with and involved with and hear and view and read a really rich variety of titles and authors. Um, it invites readers into the world of literature. We've got a literature strand on our curriculum. This is, we want to get them into the world of literature Let's read it aloud. Provides an opportunity to hear diverse interpretations. So on the curriculum it talks about preferences and it talks about response to. So we've got different interpretations you and I feel about this part of the book. We should be hearing those. How did you get to that? What are you bringing to that that got you there? What am I bringing to this that got me there? Wow. This is all about understanding. This is all about us engaging in our world and in our community. Uh, Share ideas with other students. Expand their own interpretive skills. And it creates lifelong readers. Fantastic. That's amazing what it covers, really. Yep. And there is no substitute for Read Aloud. There isn't another instructional strategy that does as much or does this like this does. We almost need to give it um, a new title, Intentional Read Aloud or something, you know, because... Well, do you know know what? (sighs) Then we'd be renaming everything in the world, quite honestly. 
But what I think it is important for us is reading aloud or read aloud, I think let's empower ourselves. What do we mean by read aloud Mm. and what is its power as an instructional strategy? And I think we need to share that with others as teachers, you as listeners, like – you, I know you will all know the power of read aloud. I'm hoping this might give some some power well, it gives the to de- your intentionality. It gives the detail, doesn't it? Gives the detail and gives you the language to be able to say, and this is why I have it scheduled into my every day for, what is it, 10 minutes so with that, Sharon, um, why don't we go on to a bit of an example of reading aloud? Have we got time? Yep. Yes? Beautiful. All right. So, and I think this is the important thing too, is that I'm, there's no questions at the end of this. You know, we're not sending out, you know, in the podcast notes, you know, the 20 questions you have to answer about this. But I want to do this as like this is what it sounds like when I read aloud. That's all this is about. And I want to give you the opportunity to just be the listener at this point and to catch yourself doing the wondering, the thinking, you know, what questions do you have popping up in your mind as you go. And for just a moment, for us even though you're just listening on your own, this is, as a community, we'll have all heard this. And it's a book, and I'm just, I'm reading chapter one of a book that lots of you will know, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane by Kate DiCamillo. I am just going to, before I read though, preface this with one thing, that the one thing you won't be able to experience here is you won't see me reading. And seeing me reading, when I'm doing it in class, I'm often gesturing. My head might fall into the position that's described. My hand might do something that is described. So I just want you to know that I'm probably still doing the actions Um, because that's what also helps me to read aloud. But I will also, you'll absolutely hear my voice um, reading in a way that I hope helps with building understanding too. All right, here we go, chapter one. Once, in a house on Egypt Street, there lived a rabbit who was made almost entirely of china. He had china arms and china legs, china paws and a china head a china torso and a china nose. His arms and legs were jointed and joined by wire so that his china elbows and china knees could be bent, giving him much freedom of movement. His ears were made of real rabbit fur and beneath the fur there were strong bendable wires which allowed the ears to be arranged into poses that reflected the rabbit's mood. Jaunty, tired, full of ennui. His tail, too, was made of real rabbit fur and was fluffy and soft and well-shaped. 
The rabbit's name was Edward Tulane, and he was tall. He measured almost three feet from the tip of his ears to the tip of his feet. His eyes were painted a penetrating and intelligent blue. In all, Edward Tulane felt himself to be an exceptional specimen. Only his whiskers gave him pause. They were long and elegant, as they should be, but they were of uncertain origin. Edward felt quite strongly that they were not the whiskers of a rabbit. Whom the whiskers had belonged to initially, what unsavoury animal, was a question that Edward could not bear to consider for too long. And so he did not. He preferred, as a rule, not to think unpleasant thoughts. Edward's mistress was a ten-year-old, dark-haired girl named Abelene Tulane, who thought almost as highly of Edward as Edward thought of himself. Each morning after she dressed herself for school, Abelene dressed Edward. The China Rabbit was in possession of an extraordinary wardrobe composed of handmade silk suits, custom shoes fashioned from the finest leather and designed specifically for his rabbit feet, and a wide array of hats equipped with holes so that they could easily fit over Edward's large and expressive ears. Each pair of well-cut pants had a small pocket for Edward's gold pocket watch. Abelene wound this watch for him each morning. Now, Edward, she said to him after she was done winding the watch, when the big hand is on the twelve and the little hand is on the three, I will come home to you. She placed Edward on a chair in the dining room and positioned the chair so that Edward was looking out the window and could see the path that led up to the Tulane front door. Abelene balanced the watch on his left leg. She kissed the tips of his ears and then she left Edward and spent the day staring out at Egypt Street, listening to the tick of his watch and waiting. Of all the seasons of the year, the rabbit most preferred winter, for the sun set early then and the dining room windows became dark and Edward could see his own reflection in the glass. And what a reflection it was. What an elegant figure he cut. Edward never ceased to be amazed at his own fineness. In the evening, Edward sat at the dining room table with the other members of the Tulane family, Abelene, her mother and father, and Abelene's grandmother, who was called Pellegrina. True, Edward's ears barely cleared the tabletop, and true also, he spent the duration of the meal staring straight ahead at nothing but the bright and blinding white of the tablecloth. But he was there, a rabbit at the table. Abelene's parents found it charming that Abelene considered Edward real and that she sometimes requested that a phrase or story be repeated because Edward had not heard it. Papa, Abelene would say, I'm afraid that Edward didn't catch that last bit. Abelene's father would then turn in the direction of Edward's ears and speak slowly, repeating what he had just said for the benefit of the China rabbit. Edward pretended out of courtesy to Abelene, to listen. But in truth, he was not very interested in what people had to say. And also, he did not care for Abelene's parents and their condescending manner toward him. All adults, in fact, condescended to him. Only Abelene's grandmother spoke to him as Abelene did, as one equal to another. Pellegrina was very old. 
She had a large, sharp nose and bright, black eyes that shone like dark stars. It was Pellegrina who was responsible for Edward's existence. It was she who had commissioned his making. She who had ordered his silk suits and his pocket watch, his jaunty hats and his bendable ears, his fine leather shoes and his jointed arms and legs, all from a master craftsman in her native France. It was Pellegrina who had given him as a gift to Abelene on her seventh birthday. And it was Pellegrina who came each night to tuck Abelene into her bed and Edward into his. Will you tell us a story, Pellegrina? Abelene asked her grandmother each night. Not tonight, lady, said Pellegrina. When? asked Abelene. What night? Soon, said Pellegrina. Soon there will be a story. And then she turned off the light, and Edward and Abelene lay in the dark of the bedroom. I love you, Edward, Abelene said each night after Pellegrina had left. She said those words, and then she waited, almost as if she expected Edward to say something in return. Edward said nothing. He said nothing, because of course he could not speak. He lay in his small bed next to Abelene's large one. He stared up at the ceiling and listened to the sound of her breath entering and leaving her body, knowing that soon she would be asleep. Because Edward's eyes were painted on and he could not close them, he was always awake. Sometimes, if Abelene put him into his bed on his side instead of on his back, he could see through the cracks in the curtains and out into the dark night. On clear nights, the stars shone and their pinprick light comforted Edward in a way that he could not quite understand. Often, he stared at the stars all night until the dark finally gave way to the dawn. I love that story. Oh, we as a family Mm. (laughs) love this story. I have to admit, this is a story I've read to our children. Mm. And a story that our now 27-year-old has requested her own copy of. Now, she has no children. She does work with children. Um, But just like me as the Mm. eight-year-old, she has wanted the copy for herself, which, of course, has the very copy that we bought (laughs) and that was read to her and her brother. Edward, (laughs) has become her copy now. So books hold big – it is a beautiful story. And look, I quite honestly – if there are people that now go out and say, do you know, I want to read that to my class, Mm. do you know, from year – really from year three up, year three, year four – Maybe year five. It's a winner. It's it's a wonderful story. Um, I didn't in my mind. If you're still holding on, because you've you've come to this part of the podcast because you've listened through to the whole story, the the thing that I kept thinking in my mind the whole time I was reading that is that I would be picturing all of you at my feet, because when I read aloud, no matter what age. My students are, I bring them in close. Mm. I bring them in 
I, I even a couple of years ago said to a year six, seven teacher who said, look, read aloud's just not working for me at all. We're just, they're just not in. I said, do you know what? Have you got a space in your room where you can sit and they can come and sit on the floor? She said, oh my God, there is no way they're going to come and do that. Two weeks later, I get an email saying, you were right. Mm. <laughs> it, it changes. Mm. the it, They bring them in close. And even uh, when they're in close, Memfox used to sit in the front of the classroom and put her arms out at 45 degree angles and yep. say, I want you within, yes. within those yes. lines yep. because I don't want you to ride out in the perimeter. Yeah. I want you in closer. Yeah. Yeah. And you make it quite the intention. Mm. That's mm. another part of the intentionality of it. Yeah. Um, this is so important. Yeah. This is, and and to have that as the, as I will say the the rules the, yeah. the um the protocols yeah. of that time, mm. um, it meant that in a, you know in our own classes as children, like the trigger was if they saw me with. The book with the read aloud, it was just everyone moved. I, I, in the end, didn't even have to say anything other. I've got the book in my hand. I move to the space. They move mm. with me. Everybody is just and sitting. Yes, initially, I sometimes made some intentional placements of children because it, it didn't work. If they couldn't do their best thinking... And that was what placement was always about. You need to be somewhere where you can think your best, hear your best and concentrate your best. Now, Sharon, I hope people have got something of value where they can use this. There's new knowledge that they can use in their classroom as read alouds as an instructional strategy. I'm just sure there are some things that they've got out of today. Yeah, or, or confirmation. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Or validation to say, and that's why I do it, and that's why I would justify it. Yeah. But why I might also have a voice in bringing this as an instructional strategy across a school if it is not yet part of every child's everyday experiences. This might be a way to kickstart yep. that as a strategy to add to teachers' toolkits. Well done if you've made it till now <laughs> in our long epic. podcast, epic podcast. <laughs> and yes, um, I feel like have I taken everyone you know on Odysseus's journey through? Yes. Anyway, it's I should have ended with that. It's, as it's, a, it's a passionate topic of ours. <laughs> you can oh, see. Yes, because. I can't work out what my life would be like without it, both as a reader and as a teacher. And a parent. And as a parent, yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, sorry. Thanks. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Thanks for hanging in if you have. And if you haven't, um, if you've done it in two, three, four settings, that's well done. That's great, yeah. Gold marks. <laughs> Thank you to everyone for joining us today. We have loved to see that so many of you have subscribed to our episodes from all corners of the world. The Teacher's Toolkit podcast is all about giving you an insider's guide to top teaching ideas, tools, techniques in literacy, teaching and learning. 
Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter via the website. You will receive advance notice of blogs, podcasts, events and ways to contact us. Thank you. Actually, sorry, Phil. So the website, where can people find that? Okay, so our websites, there are two websites. One is qlearning.com.au and that's really geared at the professional development of teachers and helping out schools especially. So if people are looking for um, newsletters, blogs... They'll all be... There's links to podcasts, blogs and all those things there. Yes, yes. But the other website, which is teachific.com.au, is a website that's online resources. It's online resources and courses that people can access to um, develop themselves. But in both of those places, they will be able to find blogs, newsletters... And links to podcasts yes, yep. and, you know, are able to search podcasts and because there's a little search tool to put in a keyword yep. to find. Yep. So if you've heard this one and you want to um, follow up with uh, Mem Fox talking about Read Aloud, you can just go into the search facility. And type and in Mem Fox yes. and then that one will come yeah. up. So, yep. um, and also on the Teachific site, mm-hmm. uh, listeners can also find transcripts of some of the podcasts. So if you um, are looking for those transcripts, they're on the Teachific site. And if you're a Teachific member, uh, you can access those for free. And we really encourage you to become a member of our Teachific website for accessing thousands of resources and some amazing courses that are coming up slowly but surely. Thank you, everyone, and all the best to you, our listeners. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Phil. Great to be in conversation on Read Alouds. On Read Alouds. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit qlearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.